inviting you to turn back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. We'll just park our little study in the life and times of Moses for the moment. Uh, But we want to come to a particular thought and verse even in this chapter this morning. Entitled the message, The Signs of the Times. Let's just unite our heart in a word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's word. Father in heaven, we we bless thee for thy nearness. We thank the Lord for good singing. Thank the Lord for these hymns and psalm that we've been singing this morning. O God, we ask that thou might even apply the truth of them to our hearts. Thank thee for the reading of thy word. Lord, we pray for that help to be given now as we come even to its consideration. Lord, we thank thee for the preaching of the gospel and for the preaching of the word of God that thou hast ordained. And we pray, Lord, to that end, I would, Lord, close us in with thyself. Lord, shut out every distraction and maybe even the things we have to do this week. Lord, guide and undertake in our thought and bless even the children that they might pay attention to it as well. And, O oh God, to that end, I pray for help to be given in the pulpit. Fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give us, Lord, every word from thyself. And, Lord, be glorified, we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. An interest of many of God's people is what is referred to as the last times. The greatest event of all of that, of course, is the second or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to set up his kingdom. While, of course, it is a great interest of many of God's people, that is not to say that many of God's people take the time to study it. But it is a good study. And it is worthwhile even giving ourselves over to the study of the events of the last days. Now, varied, of course, are the opinions and the timelines of many people differ. But rather than look to the world and to circumstances and then to try and fit them into the scriptural context, we are better going to the scriptures first. Because there we have what the Savior himself said concerning these days and concerning the events of the last times. And none more so as he taught his own very disciples. There are certain things that have to happen before the Lord comes back. There will be the famines and the pestilences. There will be the earthquakes. But these are the beginning of sorrows, as the Savior has reminded us in the words of verse 8. And it's interesting that the word sorrows that he uses there is the same as the pain and the sorrow that a woman has in childbirth. But this is but only the start. There would be the greater to follow. There will be the spiritual contentions where God's people will suffer and be persecuted for what they believe. There will be the false prophets that will arise. There will be the the final Antichrist who will appear. But isn't it interesting that another sign of the times in the midst of all of these things concerns God's people themselves. And here is something that ought to be feared in a greater measure than all of those that I have aforementioned. For it is a greater sorrow and it's a greater hurt. And I believe when we open our eyes, men and women, when we take a look, as it were, at the church of Jesus Christ today, 
There's evidence of this already. For what is the church of Jesus Christ blighted with, which is a sorrow which should be mourned over, not only in general, but in particular, even we might say in our own part of the vineyard. It's what the Lord speaks about in verse 12. And he says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. A decrease of love for Christ. A sign of the times when the, when the heart of the child of God grows cold. Let's just to look at that this morning. Notice the causes. A love of many waxing cold is the end result of various causes. It is blatantly obvious, of course, from our text that it is an abounding of sin. For sin is against the grace and the work of God in your heart and in mine. And we know that this world lieth at wickedness, but we would do well to narrow down the cause as we find it even in some of these verses. The cause why many will grow cold will be because of the demoniac attacks. You'll notice here the words of verse 9 that we've read together. For it says, And then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We realize there will be days of deliberate persecution against the church of Jesus Christ, against those who will stand even for the truth of God's word. There will be deliberate moves to have God's people persecuted. And yes, we can go to our church history books and we can look at the times of the persecutions and yet, men and women, we might be able to say those times may return. Those times may come come back to us again. And because Matthew chapter 13 and Mark chapter 13, I should say, in verse 9 will truly be fulfilled. It says, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And when we think of the early church after the ascension of the Lord, they were to know in some measure even this being fulfilled. As they arrested Peter and John, as they were to experience the inside of a prison cell on various occasions. Remember how Peter was imprisoned with the intent that he was going to come to the same fate, the same end as James was. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 1 we read it, Now about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. He put James to death. It seemed to be a crowd pleaser of the Jews. But he did it, men and women, you'll see the motivation to vex the church. They also fulfilled the word in the killing of, Je- uh, killing of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And the Savior himself is found to speak of such devil-inspired court cases when he says in Luke 21 and verse 14, Settle it therefore in your hearts, not to meditate before what ye shall answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom 
which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And you just remember those chapters, particularly chapters 6 and 7 of Acts of the Apostles. And you will realize that Stephen spoke with wisdom. They weren't able to resist his wisdom. When Paul spoke before Felix, he trembled. But because of these devil-inspired attacks, there will be those who are weaker who will not be able to be up for the fight and their love will wax cold because of it. There's certainly one cause. The cause will also be due to deceptive prophets. The devil is about his work. The devil always has his counterfeit preachers and prophets. That's the sense of the words of verse 11. And many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And notice that there will be many of them. And the Savior seems to underline this because three times over in this very chapter, he speaks the same thing. They will be about the work of deceiving the saints of the Lord. They will be those who will pretend to have divine inspiration. They'll pretend to have a spirit of prophecy about them when all of it is a lie. They will appear the false prophets or those coming in Christ's name. Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. They will have those working for them. Speaking their deception of which the believers are to be in their guard against. Notice the words of verse 23. We didn't read these words, but look at them. It says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. There is a sign of the time. Many false prophets shall arise. And of those false prophets, they have their success as the words of verse 11 intimate. They shall deceive many. Many. And because an iniquity aboundeth, many shall wax cold because of the false prophets. Here is another cause of this end time coldness in the hearts of God's own people. A day which will be marked by shallowness. A day will be marked by a lack of discerning of that which is false and coupled with a lack of growth and knowledge of Christ and his word. There will be many who will grow cold. The sign of how this would be fulfilled again was noted in some sense even in the early church as well. Because we can uh, go to Acts chapter 8, we come across a guy there by the name of Simon. And Simon was a man who had a convincing presentation and he had a following. Verse 10 of the verse of the chapter says, To whom they all give heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. He, he's, he's a man that is in the city using sorcery. And he had a great presentation and he had a great following. He's a man who sought to hold on to his followers and so he's baptized. He hears that Peter has come into the midst. He hears him, etc. He sees the power of God that is in evidence with the servants of the Lord. He wants to be baptized as well. But as the rest of the chapter will detail for you, he wasn't saved. 
And Peter has to say to him, Thine heart is not right in the sight of God. Are there not those who come in the name of Christ? And the deceiving prophets will only increase as the time nears the end when the Lord shall return. Listen, men and women, there is no generation closer to the Lord's return than your generation and mine. You just think of that. That's how, if I can go right back to what I said at the start, we should study the last days. We should have an interest in these things. That we're not those who are in ignorance. The deceptive prophets will be the cause of many growing cold and decreasing in love for Christ. But you know, another cause will be the desire of the world. No two Affections can be greater opposites than a love for the world and a love for God. It is impossible that the two can coexist in the same breast. They cannot occupy the same heart or throne of the heart. One or the other must be supreme. And for the soul that is a growing love for the world, it will be sure to deaden that soul's love for God. The words of warning from the Savior ought to be enough to convince us of how great a cause this is. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, he says, No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Growing love for the world. For its pleasures has engulfed many professing believers. And dear loved one, understand that no believer can maintain a close spiritual walk with God, his love unimpaired, or his garments unspotted, who secretly admits the world into their heart and has a desire for it and a desire to run after it again. And if you will not take my counsel and just ponder what Paul had to say about one of his fellow workers. Second Timothy chapter 4, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed unto Thessalonica. Just those few words sum up what happened to that man Demas. A man who was a co-worker a co-laborer with the Apostle Paul yet Paul had to say he hath forsaken me he's loved this present world and he's departed and our text states that many will follow in the footsteps of Demas the iniquity because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold and it will be through an inordinate and an uncrucified attachment to this world and its pleasures, which in many cases are disguised. I wonder, how is it with your heart this morning? I'm, I may be preaching to those who have grown cold through the fierceness of the battle, and instead of standing and supplicating, you have surrendered. It may be because of some idol that has crept in. It may be because of a growing desire or love for the world. What I do know is this. These things, men and women, are the cause of many waxing colds. You cannot walk in love to Christ and yet live in the love of sin. The one's contrary to the other. 
Can I put it another way? You cannot feed the flesh and expect to be strong in the spirit. Let me illustrate that to you. Back in the day, an old fisherman used to bring his two dogs. One was white, the other was black, into the marketplace every Saturday. There he would have found a ready audience of old fishermen. And the fishermen every weekend would have put a bet which of the dogs was going to win the fight because they always fought. The white one and the black one. And there was bets on who's going to win the day. But you know the canny thing about it was this. The old fisherman who owned the dogs, he always knew he was going to win. And some time later, they got the secret out of him, how he knew which one was going to win. And he said this, he says, one week I feed the white one. He says, the old boy, he's hungry. But the white one's strong, he's fed. He says, the next week I feed the black one. And he says, the one I feed is the one that wins the fight. Now, Bring that into the spiritual. You can't feed the flesh and expect to be strong in the spirit. Or vice versa. If you've indulged in unholy temper, if you've given way to covetousness, if in any way you've transgressed against the Lord, you'll not feel that warmth of love that you have toward Jesus Christ, your Savior, which you have felt before. Your life will have lost much of its beauty and its sweetness. And so I ask, where are you today? Where's your heart today in love for Christ? As applies to each soul, preacher alike. But you know, not only do you see the cause, but you notice the consequence. These things will have a direct bearing. And a consequence on your spiritual well-being. And among other things we might well suggest some of those consequences what they are. And Christ said a love of many shall wax cold. The consequences is lack of love to Christ and to the entire Godhead. It's God the Father who chose us from eternity past. Even before he spake this world into being. And he gave his people unto Christ as a gift. And Christ in the fullness of time was come. God sent him down to the scene of time. That one day he might ascend Golgotha's brow. There to purchase that gift unto himself. To purchase their salvation. To purchase their redemption. By the laying down of his life's blood. By giving himself at Calvary. It was the apostle who could say. Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And when consideration is given to what that meant, then you begin to see how grievous and how sore a sin it is to have a declining love of the Savior. The Baptist preacher of London, C.H. Spurgeon, said this. He asked the question, Are you right anywhere if your heart is wrong toward your Lord? Can you do anything earnestly when love to Jesus is cold? Can you sing aright? Can you pray aright? Can you live aright? Do not let us dream of bearing fruit if we are severed from the vine. You know, something else where the consequence will be felt is our love for the truth. Our love for the truth. 
Not many consider it worthy to go to prison these days or even to the stake if it was possible for the doctrines of God's truth that they hold so dear. This time last year I stood where the two Margarets were drowned in the Solwell Firth in southwestern Scotland. From Fries and Galloway in that area there's actually a little place where the stake is marked where that Margaret and the other Margaret was out further, was drowned because they would not recant their faith in Christ. They would not turn back to Romanism. They wouldn't deny their Lord. And just a few steps away from that little place which used to be a harbour in those days is where they're buried in the graveyard and you'll always notice the Covenanters and those that died for their faith was always white. There's a white gravestone. You can find them. Men and women, the church was looked upon as a bastion of the truth. She's a pillar and ground of truth, but where there is a foreign love for other things in the heart and there's a plain hard and fast with the church and with what her purpose is. The truths that once were held so dear to be earnestly contended for are let, are let slip so easily and before long the professing church has no longer any desire to stand against the Sunday trading, no desire against the Sodomite agenda, no desire to stand against the ecumenical advances and all the other battles that have to be fought. Ask yourself, do you love the truth? Do you profess enough, possess it enough and pray over it and to pray it in your soul until it becomes a daily part of your walk and if we had to if we had to stand where the two Margarets stood we would stand for God another consequence lack of love for God's people First John chapter 3 and we read in the words of verse 14 We know that we have passed from death unto life. How do we know that you're saved today? We know that you've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. A mark of genuine conversion of God's grace is a love for the believer. It's a love for the brethren. And we don't, as it were, live in each other's pockets, but we still have a love for one another. The love for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ will show itself not merely by words. Verse verse 18 of that same chapter says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But where there's a declining love for Christ, you can be sure there also will follow a declining lack of love for God's people. What the church is crippled with today is an every man for himself mentality. I must do better than my brother. I must be seen to do better than my sister. I want the the applause rather than that one or that other one. Tell me, does that mentality display a love for each other in the same family? 
Same family. Not merely talking about a congregation and yes, we can be described ourselves as a church family. But in the family of God, that's the greater family. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul has to address this very same truth to the believers in Corinth. He says in verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. You know, it's good to be able to go into our, our, our people's houses and uh, some of our dear sisters or brethren can't be out at the house of God as often as they would like. But to be able to say as a pastor, you know, we're praying for you, we're remembering you. We're with you. One suffers, all the members suffer. You, you can apply that in, in the context of the illustration of what Paul is using. You have a bone out of place in your arm or in your leg, the rest of the body suffers. You have a headache, the rest of the body knows about it. And so it is in the body of Christ. But you know, it doesn't stop there because it goes on to say, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. If one is honored, if one is blessed, well, we get jealous. We want to be that person. No, it doesn't say that. It says we rejoice with him. You see, that's, that's how it is in the family. Or it ought to be. How is your love for the brethren? It may tell you something about your love for Christ. An extension of that thought will bring us to consider another consequence that a, 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 as a waning love for lost souls. A lack of love for Christ will mean a loss of love for the lost and perishing souls that are round about us. A church that has no love for the lost better close its doors. You have a name that liveth but is dead. How could we possibly seek to stand in the open air without love for those that we're seeking to reach? How can you work with children if you haven't a love for their soul? How can the preacher minister the gospel if he has no love for the unsaved that is before him? How can we profess to love souls for Christ when we can't pray for them? That's hypocrisy. But it is the consequences, men and women, of a heart that has grown cold. It is the outworking of what the Savior warned against to remember his very disciples as he came to him privately on that mount concerning the last days. And it is the curse that is found in the church of Jesus Christ in these days. Sin displaces our love for Christ and for the things that matter. You might not be away back into the pub. You might not be away back into the uh, bookie's office. The things that you did in your own saved days. But man and woman, child of God, I can say to you this morning, you might have a cold heart. My love might be waning. The Savior's teaching here, it is a sign of the last times. You know, I don't want to end there because I want to end with a cure. 
Thank God there is a remedy to this state of heart. There's a way back from awaiting love. But you know, like any cure, it must begin with an injection of reality. If you're not well and you're feeling under the weather, you've got to come to reality before you will seek help from the doctor. Before you will seek that medication. And you might sit and say, well, this doesn't apply to me, preacher. My heart's all right. I'm not waiting in love. There's got to be an injection of reality before we can see any cure. The child of God must realize the exact state of their love for Christ and for his word. If the Savior has warned of the love of many shall wax cold, the reality is then that our love may wax cold. He says many. Can't underline that enough. Many. And you just consider some of the great men of the scriptures fall into this very text. They were to fall into this state, men like David. David, that man after God's own heart, yet his love for God waned. He fell into adultery. Or like Samson, who was distracted by a woman, the love for a woman, and not for his separate and Nazarite vows, then we need to take heed lest we also fall into this very same state. And for those whom I have mentioned to return unto God, they had to own up to the reality of it where they were. They had to make that difficult examination of their own hearts. And what they discovered was not good, but at least it was the first step back. For Samson, his hair began to grow. Remember how he was bound by the Philistines. They gouged out his eyes. There's a a beautiful picture, if you like, of a backslider. He's lost his vision. He's lost his strength. But his hair began to grow again. And before long, he's a man who's found back at prayer. Yes, he had got into a backslidden state. He had got into a place where his heart had waxed cold for God. But he didn't die that way. He's back in prayer. And before long, He's remembered and he's strengthened by God again to slow, slay more in his death than he did in all his life. What about David? For David it meant a humble, forthright confession. That's part of the reason why we sang those opening verses of Psalm 51 this morning. Psalm of the penitent. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. He's to pray later on in that psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He had tried to hide it for maybe nearly a year. But he couldn't. And God's prophet was sent to him, Nathan. And he said to him, David, thou art the man. And they had to come to that humble place of confession and so it must be for the child of God who is cold of heart today it may lead to the discovery that I am not as I once was for God I have lost spiritual ground I have left my first love oh like just the church at Ephesus that we read about in Revelation chapter 2 my walk with God is not what it should be and what is needed is a reality check It's a humble confession of it unto God. It's pointless to disguise it because God knows the heart. It's a reality check. I have left off the place of prayer. 
I've left off the reading and study of God's Word. It used to be, I just missed maybe one a week now. Well, where is it now? And life has come in, and the busyness of the work has come in, and all excuses of the day I can use. But men and women strip it all away, and there just has to be the mission. I'm not where I once was with God with my prayer life or my studying of the Word of God. And my heart, therefore, has waxed cold. Your heart will wax cold for that dear loved one of yours if you only saw them once a week. Some of God's people depend only on the Lord's day to read the Word. But from the reality, any cure will also mean a seeking to remove any trace or suggestion of the cause of our declining love. The world's influence will wither our love for God. And if the cause is the world, then come out from among it, be separate, and touch not the unclean thing. If the cause, man or woman, young person, is indwelling sin, then seek its immediate mortification. Seek its removal by the power of the cross of Calvary. Kneel it to the cross. In practice, that means not living near the edge. Refuse to indulge in those things that cause the heart to wander from the Lord. Don't be in its place of temptation. That may mean the films you watch. It may mean the websites that you visit. It may mean those friendships that you have cultivated. They're not helpful to your spiritual well-being with God. If they feed the old nature, as we go back to the two dogs. If it feeds the old nature with its sinful desires, then they've got to be cut off. Got to be cut off. It's identifying the unhealthy influences upon our Christian walk and refusing them to control us any longer. Make sure by God's grace that you resign every sin at God's bidding and that you surrender your heart unto God. For the Lord comes this morning maybe to some soul in my congregation and he simply asks, Give me thine heart. All of it. And dear child of God, the ultimate cure in which all others stem from is a fresh view and remembrance of Christ. He is the fount of all love. We love him because he first loved us. And that must take us fresh to Calvary. First John chapter 4 in the words of verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for 
our sins, just ponder afresh God's great love for a sinner like you and I. What it meant for God's Holy One to bear away our sin. What it meant for Him to purchase eternal life. Pray over it until your heart is melted afresh in love for God's gift for your soul. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, the first signs of a waning love, ought to drive us to the cross. It ought to drive us to Christ by faith. And reflect upon this. With this I want to conclude. That although your love for God has waned and grown cold in mine too. Yet God's love for you, his child, never diminishes. Although he hits our lukewarmness. As we can see from the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Although he sees the heart that has been attracted by other things. And we become guilty of being a spiritual adulterer. Yet he has never withdrawn his love from you or I. And that's the greatest wonder of it all. His love like himself knows no change. It is everlastingly the same. What an encouragement, dear child of God, then to return unto your first love, even this morning, to know that full joy again of where you once were with God. May the Lord help us to be in that place continually. And maybe I'm preaching to someone this morning, you're not saved. Oh, may His grace. Reveal the love of Christ to your heart and to you, the sinner, that you, my friend, would fall in love with Christ for the very first time, even this morning. And you'll come to the foot of the old rugged cross. Accept you're a sinner and acknowledge Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Because iniquity shall abound. The love of many shall wax cold. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to burn that even text into our heart this morning. For his only M6. 638 will sing in closing. This is his Lord with revival, stricken with coldness and death. Where is our hope of survival? Save in thy life giving breath. Page 433. It's number 638. Let's stand as we... Uh, Watch the words, please.
forgive us for our love for Christ waning. Forgive us, Lord, for letting other things come into the throne of the heart. We pray, Lord, that we might make this our prayer. Lord, send us revival. Let it begin now in me, gladly dethroning each rival. Lord, give us the grace to yield up our hearts entirely unto thee. Come, Lord, and move upon us. Oh, God, if we, if we don't see it anywhere else, Lord, we'd love to see it in our only congregation. Lord, we'd, we'd pray just for this little church family. That thou would bind us together in love for Christ. And Lord, we'd have a greater love for the lost, for thy word, for the things of God. Speak to those that are not saved. Oh, God, bring them, Lord, even this morning that personal relationship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, part us with thy blessing and in thy fear and give us, Lord, even a, a good Sabbath. And then thy will bring us back again tonight, we pray in our Savior's precious name. Amen.